This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome to Easter. I am so excited to spend the next few moments with you. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at Vortex, and we are so thankful that you made the decision to be with us today. Next week, we're starting a brand new series. It's called Mindful. I don't know if you're aware, but there's a battle being waged for your minds, and our minds are often filled with worry and fear and anxiety and doubt and dread, but I want you to know that through Jesus, actually what we're looking at today, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can win the battle that's going on in our minds. And I want you to be here next week. We're going to spend about five weeks talking about what it takes to do that, and that starts next Sunday. Do not miss it. Now I want to think about Resurrection Sunday In the setting of the story, Jesus is crucified on Friday. His his followers watch him bleed and die. His, His limp, dead body taken off the cross and put into a borrowed tomb. And what did they do? They ran. Because they were scared that what they did to Jesus, they are now going to do to us. The religious leaders... We've got to guard that tomb. We've got to send some soldiers. Those people are crazy about Jesus. They'll come and steal his body. And so what happens? Very late on on Friday, they they post guards. And then it's Saturday. It's a, a day of silence. And I want you to think in the context of those disciples, those who had given years to Jesus, those who had left family and left businesses and left kids and and come to follow Jesus, those who had lost so much because they believed in him so much, who were heartbroken. I want some of y'all to hear this today, that sometimes God gets quiet and that doesn't mean that he's done working. Because that's not the end of the story. You can try to understand how things look, or you can try to understand how things are, but they are rarely as they seem. See, there's a big difference between how things are and how they look, and that plays out early on resurrection morning. Luke 24 records in the very first verse that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, just to press pause and explain some day. First day of the week, that means it's Sunday. If you look at their calendars and our calendars, the week starts on a Sunday. That's when it starts. So the first day indicates that it was Sunday. And y'all might be saying, well, it doesn't seem like three days from Saturday to Sunday. Let me explain it. In the first century, they counted for an event. They counted a day as long as there was daylight 
Jesus died at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. He's in the tomb before the sun goes down, daylight, day one. The sun comes up on Saturday, day two. The sun comes up early Sunday morning, day three. And they show up because they were in such a hurry to get him into the tomb. They show up with spices to prepare his body ceremonially for burial. But they found the stone was rolled away. And when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. His body is gone. How does this look? Now, we read this a lot of times from our perspective. What were they thinking when they walked in there? Who stole his body? What happened to this? Where are the guards? Why weren't they taking care of him? What's happened to this? And while they were wondering, if Luke records this, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, beside the women. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the man said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, to be honest with you, that should be pretty clear at that point. But it wasn't. As a matter of fact, they leave and they go back to the disciples. Now, look at what happens in verse 9. Then they came back to the, from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven. Why are there eleven instead of twelve? That's because after Jesus was crucified, Judas, who betrayed him, killed himself. Now, there are eleven, okay? But they noticed they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Sometimes, guys, you need to believe the women, Okay? All right? And what happens now? They're, they're holed up in a safe house. They're afraid. Who stole the body of Jesus? We, we got to go look and see what's happening. And John 20 records some of my favorite verses out of the story of the resurrection. They're all rushing back to the tomb. And John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, John records this in John 20, verses 3 and 4. And at that, Peter and the other disciple went out, headed to the tomb. The other disciple was John. Y'all don't think men are competitive? Look at this. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. John's like, listen, I beat him in a foot race, and everybody's going to know about it. So they all get to the tomb, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the women, and they crowd around it and they inspect what's happening. And in verse 10, the Bible records that they all returned afraid. All of them, I'm not going to get through this without crying a lot. All of them except one. And John in chapter 20 tells us a story that is so unique. It's actually set up in other gospels, but he lets us know that everybody was afraid and ran except one person. And in verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now this needs to be clarified because you might be thinking Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's not who this is. This is a woman who's known as Mary Magdalene. Now, that's not her last name. 
As a matter of fact, at this point in time, when you get to this point in the story of the Gospels, they're having to use clarifying terms for women named Mary because there's a lot of them. It's kind of like Caitlin today. If you know a Caitlin, you've got to say, you know Caitlin from, or Caitlin, because there's a lot of Caitlins. There were a lot of Marys. Mary Magdalene, Magdalene's actually a reference to the town that she's from. It's a little town in Galilee. And she's somebody that many of us don't know much about. And the, tr- the reason we don't know much about her is the, the Bible doesn't say much about her. She's only mentioned one other time. And that's in Luke chapter 8. The, the message of Jesus is growing. The, the, several points throughout the Gospels, you see that it went from being 12 to 72. That the, the leaders in this movement grew. And in Luke chapter 8, Luke does something that was remarkably subversive for the first century. He lists out women who had become leaders in this movement of Jesus. A lot of them are married. Two of them are single. Mary Magdalene is one of the single ones. But there's backstory that's given to Mary. We know that when Jesus met Mary, he cast out seven demons from her. This is why this is significant. Because Mary's story, if you're a Christ follower, is your story. When I met Jesus, I was in bondage. When I met Jesus, I was enslaved to sin. When I met Jesus, the only thing that was inside of me was darkness. But when I met Jesus, all of that changed. He broke the bonds of sin. He liberated me as a captive into freedom. God did something in my life. And some of y'all remember before you met Jesus, and you know that before you met Jesus, you were nothing, and you know now that what you are in this moment has a lot to do with what God's done in your life. I want you to hear me. Mary is that person. She didn't know I mean, life for her was was broken and lost before she came to know Jesus. And she met Jesus and she found freedom. And when everyone ran away, all that Mary could do was stay back and cry. But there's something that's awesome that happens with Mary. She goes to peer into the tomb just to... Is this real? Is this happening? And in John 20, verse 12, the Bible says, she saw two angels sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the feet, and they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Now, just stop there. You know why they're asking that? Because they know the story, and she doesn't. Because they've taken away, notice what she says, my Lord, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. It, it's, it's back to the things are not as they appear. What they've come to, to know and resolve in their heart that this moment means is not really what it means. She's still confused. And the next verse records this. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Y'all listen to me. There are going to be some times in your life God's going to show up and it's not going to look like you thought it would. It's going to come in challenges, in conflict, 
And God has shown up in your life to do something in your life. And you're, you're going to miss out on it if you think God's always got obligated to you to show up the way you think he's supposed to look when he shows up in your life. This is the glorified Jesus post-resurrection. He doesn't look the same. She doesn't recognize him. Woman, notice this again. Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing that he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll take him away. It's as if she's saying, Listen, all I wanted to do was say goodbye. That's it. He meant everything to me. I, I was lost. I was in bondage before him. I can't, can't imagine my life without him. And then something happened. Look at this. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, he says one word, Mary. He calls her name. And she knows it's him. And turning around, she said in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher, she recognizes him. And he sends her back. Go tell everybody what you've seen. 19 through 20 records... Something that happens later on on the same day. We know that because of the textual evidence. Look at this. When it was evening on the first, so again, first day of the week, same day, the disciples were gathered together. Now look, we see the, the state that they're in mentally. They're gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. What they did to Jesus, they're going to do to me. And Jesus came, he stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. Now sometimes we read the Bible and we don't read it as it's actually talking to us. Okay. They're, they're in the safe house. All the doors are locked. And all of a sudden, there comes Jesus walking up in there. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? I mean, the doors, are, the doors were locked. How did you get in here? And the, and the first thing he says is, if I'm in a safe house and the doors are locked, I'm hoping if somebody could somehow walk through the walls and come in and see me, I hope they say, well, Jesus said, peace be with you. Right? Because I need some peace in that moment. How would you get in here? Verse 19, having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, it's so powerful. He said it twice. Why? Because they haven't had peace. And then he does something. He, he commissions them. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, look at this. He breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know if y'all know this today, but this is good news. This is good news. Out of the 200 plus world religions that populate countries and communities all over the world, there is but one that anchors its claim into a resurrection, and that is our faith in Jesus, who not only died for us on the cross, absorbing God's wrath and paying the penalty for sin, but is the God who came out of that grave alive, sin defeated. Death is overthrown. And for too many of us, the message of Jesus stops at the cross. Oh, Jesus died for my sins. Yes, he did. But the gospel of Jesus culminates in the claims of the resurrection. 
That's why this moment, this day, this claim is paramount to our faith. And the thing about it is, the resurrection of Jesus is historically verifiable. Can I just walk you through that real quick? Jesus is believed to have been born around 3 AD. More than likely, he died 30 years later. That's the testimony of Scripture, which is going to put his death somewhere around 33 to 35 A.D. The first written record that we have canonized in the Bible is the Gospel of Mark. It's short. It'll take you 45 minutes to read it. Half of the Gospel of Mark is devoted to the passion narrative, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When was it written? It was written around 60 A.D. It's roughly 30 years later. The Gospel of Mark was so widely circulated, we have copies of it from the first century all around the Mediterranean Rim, which means that the claims of Jesus' resurrection were being made from community to community to community to community 30 years after he died. Why is that important? Because 30 years is within the span of a lifetime. And if it wasn't true, there were people around that could have stood up and go, huh? Y'all saying what? He res- No, he didn't. I didn't. Come over here. I'll show you where it's been. I saw it happen. You can't change the narrative on people who lived through something. 30 years ago, okay? Some of y'all weren't alive. It's okay. Forgive me for what I'm about to do. Okay, I'm going to date myself a little bit for those of y'all who are a little older than me. 30 years ago, 1992, in April, four police officers in L.A. are put on trial for beating Rodney King. They are acquitted on April 9th, and L.A. erupts in riots. I watched it happen live on TV. Watched it happen. Saw helicopter footage of what was happening in the streets as it was happening. You're not going to tell me that it didn't happen. I saw it. I lived through that time. Later on that year, November the 3rd. Now, this is not a political thing. This is a, just we're talking about historical events. Bill Clinton was elected. He was elected Al Gore's vice president. I mean, if you tried to tell me that Bill Clinton was never, ever, ever a president, we'd have a pretty big argument about it. I lived through it. I saw it happen. Some of y'all are like, who's Bill Clinton? <laughs> y'all are like 25 years old. I'm sorry. If you're 25 years old, you're not going to even know what I'm about to talk about at all right now. In 1992, it's the first time ever that CDs surpassed cassettes as the primary means that music was sold. Y'all remember that mess? Y'all need a number two pistol to fix that. You know what I'm talking about? Some of, y'all, some of y'all are going, what's the CD? <laughs> oh, 30 years. That's the time span between Jesus' death and the gospel of Mark. You're not going to argue that. This is something that, that so much in the first century historically bears witness to it that many historians who not even believers have said that the resurrection of Jesus is almost a verifiable historical fact. And it means something to you today. 
It's not just history. It's not just a fable made up by a bunch of religious people. It's actually good news. So I want to share two things just real quickly. That if you'll receive this stuff today, it'll reshape the way you think about this world. And the first thing is this. The resurrection invites us to a different kind of hope. I need a different kind of hope than the hope that this world sells. The, the hope of this world is, is anchored into circumstances. I mean, I've heard parents say, God, I hope my kids get into that school because if kids can make it into that school, they can, they can get a good job or they'll make their way into a good college. As if God needs your kid to go to that school to do what God's called him to do. Man, I just hope I can get buddy-buddy with the boss at work because there's a promotion that's coming up and if I could get that, that would change my life. As if God needs you to be friends with your boss to do what he wants you to do in life. Man, I, I really need to save a little. If I could just get this much money in the bank account, and then I'd, find, I'd finally be safe and secure. As if your security is anchored in some number in a bank somewhere. I don't want that kind of hope. I want a different kind of hope. And the Bible talks about that through one of Jesus' best friends, Peter. The one who, while he was being crucified, denied him, but after the resurrection encountered the Holy Spirit, had his life changed. The day the Holy Spirit falls, he walks out onto the temple front steps, preaches a message, and 3,000 people with no sound system, worship band, or lights. 3,000 people come to Jesus that day. And from that point on, there's no moving back for Peter. This is what he said in that letter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, that's important to look at because a lot of the times when we find our hope in worldly things, what's going to happen is your hope is going to perish, it's going to spoil, and it's going to fade. I don't want you to have that kind of hope. Peter's talking about a hope here that's alive. It's alive because Jesus is alive. But the invitation to hope implies the presence of a problem. We love to talk about hope we don't talk about what it means. If everything was right, you don't need hope. If everything was perfect, you wouldn't need hope. But hope implies a problem. What's the problem? What's the problem? Here's the problem. The problem is that we're not in heaven yet. That we still exist in a world that's fallen on the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus wins the war. But we're still in the battle. We know who's won the war. We see it. This is the message of Easter. Jesus overcame sin, death, and the grave. He has triumphed over it. But here we find ourselves 
still in the battle. That's why this next series that we're going to do starting next week is so important. Y'all need to listen to me. He's already given you everything you need to win. Everything you need to win the battle in your mind, God has already purchased it when Jesus died on the cross and he's given it to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to figure out how to fight back. And for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about it. But I want you to think about the hope that we have. Our hope is not circumstantial. It's not anchored in what's going on around us. My hope is not in who's in the White House. My, not, my hope is not in how much money I have in the bank. My hope is alive. My hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And as long as Jesus, who was absolutely, completely dead, has come back to life and now lives reigning over this world, as long as Jesus is alive, I have hope that's alive. So parents, y'all listen to me. You might be looking over the lives of your kids and you might, you might feel a little worried about it. Because what you see, you, you see them making bad decisions. There's been some parents here today and I know that they're dealing with kids that right now are in active addiction. Kids who have moved out to do things that you never wanted them to do. You never dreamed that this would be their story. Right now, you look at it and it feels dead. Y'all listen to me. Your hope is not dead. Your hope is alive. You might not know how it's all going to work out, but give them to God. Trust them in the hands of God. And if it's in the hands of God, it might appear to be dead, but you don't know how things really are because God can take those things that are dead and bring them back to life. Our hope is alive. You might be in here today with some stuff going on in your marriage. Sin that's crept in. Brokenness, lostness, and you're looking over the context of your marriage and you're saying, it just feels dead to me. There was a time it felt alive, but right now it just feels dead. I don't know how it's ever going to recover. Y'all need to listen to me. If Jesus came back from the dead, there is nothing that exists outside of that power. God is able, through the hope that we have in him, to bring that which is dead back to life. You might even be here today. And the doctor said, it's not going to go well. This is terminal. The end result in this is going to lead to death. Y'all listen to me. The final testimony is left in the hands of the one who overcame death. Our hope is alive. And because of the resurrection, we've been invited into a different kind of hope. And I'm praying that this next one gets somewhere deep in your soul today. It has in mind over the last six months what I'm about to share with you. And I have taught all the way up to this this year. I, I am praying that the tumblers all align, that it all clicks, that it finally makes sense for you. Because the resurrection invites us to live through a different kind of power. Far too many of us, when we think of the power that we're living by in our life, it's something on the outside. Well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of friends with my boss, and that's how I got my job, and I have, I have an authority at my work, and it's really connected. Or it's, you know, if, if I could just finally earn that money, and I could finally have the affluence that comes with that, 
Even in our relationship with God, God, I just need to see you. I need to see you heal them. I need to see you get the right person in the White House. I want you to hear this. There is something that happened because of the resurrection that is far beyond what happens on the outside. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. God did all this because he wanted you Gentiles, we're Gentiles, unless you, you know, have uh, Jewish ancestry, we're a Gentile. I wanted you Gentiles to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. And the mystery is that Christ lives in you. And he is your hope in sharing in God's glory. I don't know if you know the story, but when Adam and Eve were perfect and without sin in the garden every day, God came and walked with them, but leave it to the loving God of the universe to after our fall and walking away from, from him and right relationship and sin to come closer than just walking with me. Now it's God in me. Christ in me for, for a, somebody who chooses Jesus. God is no longer an impersonal God at work in the world. For a Christ follower, God is personal and alive on the inside. And alive on the inside. Psalm 107 verses 8 and 9 says this. Look at this. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with the good things. For he set, we give th he loves us, we give thanks for it. Why? For he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Imagine that you were thirsty and hungry and I showed up with a bottle of water and a sandwich. If all you did was sit there and look at that bottle of water, just thank you. Thank you for bringing that to me. I, said, I mean, you must love me. It would do you no good until you consumed it. It has to get on the inside. And the only way that water will quench your thirst is if you drink it. The only way that sandwich will satisfy your hunger is if you eat it. It's got to go from the outside to the inside. And some of y'all need to recognize that for your life and your relationship with God, God has to move from being a God that's at work in the world to being a personal relationship that I have. God's no longer God of my mom and my dad, but he's my God. He's personal to me. This is something that matters to me. The Bible is just not some historical book. This is personal to me. God matters to me because he's done something. God will never satisfy you if he's just on the outside. Only God on the inside can satisfy you. This is why God sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus on the cross releases his spirit. The veil is torn. Tombs empty. And in this day, we're asked to be filled with the Spirit because only the God that's alive on the inside can satisfy me. Look at what Romans 8 says. Christ lives in you. So you are alive 
Why? Because God has accepted you because now you chose Jesus, submitted to his lordship, followed him. God fills you with the Holy Spirit. God receives you and accepts you. And he does this even though your bodies must die because of your sin. There's a life. I'm not just alive in my body. I'm alive eternally. This is not just something that's going to end when this body ends. There's an end to this body. But the sentence of my life is not at death a period. It's a comma because I've chosen Jesus. And the Spirit of God is alive on the inside. And I'm praying when I read this next verse that some of y'all will see how significant this is for you. Because for three months, I've been teaching about the power of the Holy Spirit and God's desire for you to have a relationship with Him. And I want you to see what verse 8, right, chapter 8, verse 11 says. Right after that, it says, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies in the same spirit, by the same spirit living within you. You might say, listen, my marriage feels dead, but it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that's living in you. You don't have to live with it that way. You might say my emotions feel dead, but it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And you don't have to live with that kind of death. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can live within you. And He can bring to life all that's dead on the inside. So it bears asking this question. What's dead? What's dead? Some of y'all came in today carrying the weight of some stuff that's dead. A friendship that you lost. It might be a relationship with a, with a child or with a parent. It might be your marriage. It might be your finances right now. And I need to say this because the the seasons that we've walked out of into this moment. You might have come in today and, and the emotional state on the inside feels dead. You, you feel filled with fear and anxiety and worry. The Bible says that God's love and fear do not coexist, that His love casts out all fear. What's dead? What's, I'm going to ask two clarifying questions that will help you see what's dead. Here's the first one. Where do you need hope? Where's the place in your life that you've lost hope? I don't know if that can ever come back to life. I feel like I lost that friendship. I feel like I lost my kid. Some of y'all feel that way right now. You, you've lost hope in, in your marriage. Where do you need hope? And where do you need a different kind of power? Where have you been doing it in your own strength? 
with your own perceptions and your own way. Y'all listen to me. You, you can do it your own way. You can. You can live your own way, but you will never live your own way and be right with God. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. What is sin? Sin is rejecting God. It's, it might be, God, I know I should forgive them, but I'm not going to. It might be, God, I know you told me to do this, but I, I've got to wait on that. Delayed obedience is disobedience. The wages of sin is death. When I sin, I earn death. I'm, I'm, I'm born into a nature of sin. And then as a sinner, I acted out in sin. My nature earns eternal death. This is what Jesus died to save me from. But my sin, the way that I behave, it can earn death in my finances and in my marriage and in my, my family. But look at this. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice it doesn't say my, my counselor. It doesn't say my coach. It doesn't say my friend. It says eternal life is anchored in Christ Jesus, who's my Lord. And the word Lord literally means to be boss, to have the final say, to, to not rely on my own opinions and perspectives, but to trust in the Lord with all my heart, leaning on His perspectives. You need to know this. You're never going to be right with God if you keep doing things your own way. It's only going to lead to bondage, and slavery, fear. That's why Mary Magdalene's, to me, is so powerful. Y'all can go. I, I, I know we're all scared. I can't leave this tomb. I can't leave. I'm supposed to be here. I never knew life before I met him. I don't know where his body is. And what did she say? Where have you taken my Lord? Where have you taken my Lord? And Jesus preached the very first Easter message to Mary. She was confused. She didn't know what was happening. And he called her name. And that was all he had to say. When he called her name, she knew it was, she knew it was Jesus. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying right now in this moment for some of us in this room that you hear God call your name. Maybe for the first time ever that somewhere in the deep recesses of your soul, those of you who have walked away, those of you who need Him, those who right now you feel like things are dead and you've lost hope, that you'll hear Him call your name. And you'll know today that you're not alone. And when we give our life to Him, He's not just with me. 
he's in me. Can we pray? God, thank you so much for this moment together. I ask you to do in this moment what only you can do. Clarify for us where we are in our relationship with you. It's so difficult many times for us to see clearly, but right now I'm asking you, God, to help us to see clearly what you want us to see in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.